0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Mike Eusem, Jeffrey Klein, and Ann Greenhall. Welcome back to Leadership in Action on Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For new listeners or SiriusXM sub- subscribers, I'm your host, Ann Greenhall, and I'm here tonight in studio with my colleague and co-host, Mike Useem. Our dear colleague and co-host, Jeff Klein, is off for the night. And Mike, in this hour, we're going to be talking with a LinkedIn advisor, and I have to admit that I want to know what a LinkedIn invi- advisor does <laughs> We're going to find out. We're going to find out.
1: Uh, the title of his book that you've already mentioned, really intriguing. The Meaning Revolution, subtitled The Power of Transcendent Leadership. I'm really anxious to understand that. I think I've got a sense for it. I appreciate how important it is. It's going to be great to talk about it.
0: Yeah, very good. And, uh, in fact, mm. I noticed, Mike, did you notice in the very, um, you know, I like to look just to see who... Who gets the dedication and in the book? And here you go, the dedication in the book to the you who you are beyond the you who you think you are. Hmm. (laughs) Isn't that great? Excellent. Reminds me of a poem by Wallace (laughs) Stevens, (laughs) "The Snowman." Well, Mike, um, before our guest arrives, we can just do a little bit of an after action review. In the first mm-hmm. hour, we had an opportunity to speak with Shelly Power, and she is executive director of the Pennsylvania Ballet. And we've talked about her experience as a dancer, as the head of an academy, a nonprofit as the uh, artistic director of a interna- an international prize and now as the head of the Pennsylvania Ballet. So anything stand out for you from that uh, exchange? Yes,
1: uh, midway through as we were talking with Shelley about her, uh, not her career so much as, as what she does and how she does it and how she puts all these different pieces together, everything from producing the artistic performance mm-hmm. at, at a, a very high level there to fundraising for it and working with a dra- board of directors around it. And she said a common theme in much of that is taking risk right, and having the courage to do so. So I wrote down courage and risk.
0: I did too, Mike. Mm-hmm. I wrote that down as well. And also was thinking about her comment about what we don't know. And how that can be very frightening, but it just reminds me of what we talk about often on the show and about leadership being about anticipating the future, the unknown, uncertainty, as opposed to dealing with the
1: present and status quo. (laughs) And, in fact, she uh, said, again, reflecting on her own career and how she developed, you're going to have some ups and downs And I was reminded, I didn't reference this on the air, but I was reminded of an opera singer that we had on campus a couple years ago who was called at the last minute to perform an audience she had never rehearsed. Uh, The lead singer fell ill. She was the understudy. And on a Friday night, opening night, she was suddenly the principal on stage (laughs) and completely vexed by the moment. Uh, But she found... A outpouring of support from her friends around New York who knew she had to perform at 8 o'clock. Wow. A production she had never literally uh, paced out and rehearsed. She knew the music. She knew the libretto, but she just had not actually done the, the staging. Oh. Tremendous outpouring of support, all kinds of messages, <laughs> and a whole bunch of bouquets of flowers. Oh, in the area where she was going to walk on stage.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> and
1: by the time she got on stage, <laughs> oh. it was uh, uh, potentially a, a very down moment, but uh, just inspired by the friendship and the, the love from her friends and beyond, uh, she got out there on the stage and having oh, looked boy. at what it might have been a downer, it was a great upper for her.
0: Oh, that's amazing, Mike. Oh. Well, you know, you also remind me that early in Shelley Powers' conversation – Uh, She talked about a moment when she was with her mother, and at only seven, I believe the age was, and looked in in the window to a ballet school that was going on, and the teacher signaled to her to come in, and she took the Mm -hmm. risk, talk about courage and risk, didn't know anyone, but walked in and found that moment to be a turning point in her life in which she embraced ballet, and that Moment set her on the on a direction,
1: and then she said in passing there that somebody had seen her and, with a, a hand gesture, said, "Come on in." Yeah, and it made me wonder how many moments like that we don't help people take a step through a doorway or through an right. open passageway to try try something that they had not been part of, but uh, was as it turns out a perfect fit once you got inside
0: right now I'm sure Mike uh, I have a hunch that you have had as I have had on occasion a moment where a former student or participant in one of your executive education programs comes around or sends a note a year later or maybe two years later and says you know what we talked about or what happened in class really just made such a difference in in my life and those really are special moments But I'm wondering, Mike, have you had a moment where someone reached out to you and gave you that kind of encouragement? Uh, It's
1: wonderful when when it happens. It's why we teach is to help people um, evolve their thinking and try new things out. Uh, I am reminded, though, of a moment that somebody (laughs) described as follows. She had gone into a a huge one-year-long study abroad Program by huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. So she took a year off from from a college. Um, it was a totally different language. And I said, "Whoa, what what led you to take on this uh, rather large step?" Because she had not done anything like that before. She said, "To be honest, she was sitting on a step with an open backpack on her back. The top was open, and up on a bulletin board next to her, a thumbtack fell out, and a flyer." Just fluttered down inside her backpack. And she uh. didn't know it until she got <laughs> home that night, but pulled out the flyer and said, take a year in Romania or wherever yeah, it was. That's great. And so some of these um unusual moments are purely a matter of serendipity. But getting back and to your, your bigger point there, uh I think we all are responsible for if we're in a position to make a difference, yeah, to right. step forward. Exactly. If somebody needs advice or mm-hmm. counsel and mm-hmm. we have something to um, inform our thinking about that, we really have to pass it on. Often it probably has no impact. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be but the case. <laughs> sometimes it does.
0: <laughs> very good. Well, Mike, I'm going to call our AAR to a close because I understand from our producer that we have our next guest online. So I'm really so pleased to welcome Fred Kaufman to the program. Fred, welcome to the program.
2: Uh, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here.
0: Well, it's a pleasure, pleasure to have you, and Mike, you seem, and I both very much look forward to talking to you about your book called The Meaning Revolution, The Power of Transcendent Leadership. And I understand, Fred, that you are advisor of leadership development at LinkedIn. And I'm just curious, I said to Mike uh, while we were waiting for you to join us, I just need to understand a little bit better what the role of advisor is at LinkedIn.
2: Well, I, I'm, I'm. A, you could say it's like being an internal consultant ah. that helps that helps people um, develop leadership qualities and leadership uh, teaming qualities more than individual leadership qualities in order to keep the organization. Uh, it's. I, I know it's, it's not obvious what I mean by that, but if we have. A few minutes I'm happy to explain because that's the topic of the book sure
0: No, we'd, uh, we'd love so to hear you explain <laughs>
2: so- um, well, the simplest way I can explain it is to uh to say that most people don't really know what their jobs are, and uh, almost all of us live in a in a mirage that confuses us to so the real nature of what we are. Uh, really called to do when we work in an organization. Let me give you an example that I think will make it very clear. If um, if we look at a soccer team, I'm Argentinian, love <laughs> soccer, yes. Uh, so uh, it's my favorite example. But it, imagine we're talking about a soccer team, and you're a defensive player, and I ask you what's your job, what would you tell me?
1: Uh, you're a uh, forward.
2: No, 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 if you're a defensive player. Or a, a defensive player, uh, prevent, yes.
1: you have to prevent goals from being scored.
2: Exactly. That, that's, the, that's the obvious answer to, to what, uh, to what a, mm-hmm. a, a person would say in terms of, um, you know, what, what are you being paid to do? And you would be wrong. If that's your answer, you're wrong, and I'll explain <laughs> why. I mean, what's the job mm-hmm. of the team? What is the team's mission?
0: To win, (laughs) that's very good, Mike. Okay,
2: Okay, very good. The team's mission is to win. So, what what is the role, the the most fundamental role of every player in the team? What are the players trying to do? It's not a trick question.
1: No, it's to help the team win.
2: Correct. (laughs)
1: That's
2: not. But but, so let's go back to the first question. What is the job of a defensive player? Uh,
1: Good (laughs) to help help the the team team win. win. And oh, I think okay, we're getting right. better
2: here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good. But that's, that's not what you said 30 <laughs> no, seconds ago. No,
1: you're totally right.
2: When I, asked you, when I asked you the first time, you said, i oh, yeah. prevent goals. Yeah. But you see, it's not the same because if you're playing to prevent goals and there's like five minutes to go when your team is losing 1-0, you stay in the back You still because you would say my job is to prevent goals. If you are trying to help the okay. team win, then there's five minutes to go, you're losing 1-0, then it's worth taking the risk to go into the attack and help the offensive line to try to tie the game. And that's a very different perspective depending on what you think your job is. Mm. In a soccer team, most people understand, you know, that even though they say prevent the other team from scoring, that they're really to win the game. But in an organization where mm-hmm. things are very complex and people have different performance metrics, uh, you get a lot of discord and a lot of uh, conflict between different silos as to the nature of what are we trying to do or who is supposed to do what. Hmm.
0: Fred, I might just hmm. pick up because I, you know, I very much enjoyed your book, and since this is a program called Leadership in Action, you know, Mike, I'll speak for myself. I won't bring Mike into this. Sometimes I use the word and just assume that. Uh, we all know what we're talking about when we talk about leadership, but you give uh, a really rather nice definition of leadership in your book. So I'm just—I'd just like to hear you express what you mean by leadership.
2: Yes. Well, leadership—I use a definition. There are many, but the one I—I—I I, I, uh, I present is eliciting other person internal commitment. Mm-hmm. So if you can inspire another person to commit by choice and offer their discretionary effort, then you're leaving. If you are offering rewards and punishments mm-hmm. and uh, trying to micro-direct uh, the person, then you're managing or you're manipulating. Mm-hmm. I, I, I use an example, also a very graphic example, about my kids. And I say, you know, as a father manager, as a father boss, I want my kids to read so i tell them unless you read i'll take away your devices and i threaten them effectively Mm -hmm. because they read they're scared enough that they read (laughs) instead of being on their phones but you know and this is a true story when my kids were reading begrudgingly i realized you know the truth is i don't want them to read i want them to want to read right and that's a totally different Mm -hmm. problem than wanting them to read because You know, if I say, unless you want to read, I'll take away your devices. Of course, they'll lie. They'll say yes. It's like a thief pointing a gun at me and saying, be my friend. I say, yes, yes, I'm your friend. Mm -hmm. A thief can take my money, but no thief can take my friendship, my loyalty, my admiration, my respect. Mm -hmm. And in a company, especially today, the knowledge economy, you don't want people's bodies. I mean, you don't want just the brute force of their uh, motion. You want people to give their best. I mean, every leader wants the organization to, to be creative, to be intelligent, to take uh, prudent risks, um, to cooperate in the service of a larger goal. And those things you cannot coerce. You can only inspire. You can only deserve, but you cannot take. So leadership, the way I define it, is aligning an organization and inspiring people to spend their discretionary effort and to put their best in the service of a common goal.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful, wonderful, and really reminds me. I I ask my students at the beginning of the term to stop, pause, and think about the essence of leadership, and find an image that captures that essence. And the great majority of images are images of what I would call a pull. Rather than a push style in leadership, yeah. and that's what I'm hearing in your in your description. Mm. So what are some of the impediments to the kind of uh, empowering and transformative leadership that you um, you imagine?
2: Yeah, well, well, that's a great thank you. That's a lovely question, but it's very related to what you said before. i I agree, I feel like you that the pool is the right image, mm-hmm. but it's not the pull of the leader. It's the pull of the mission,
0: uh-huh. the,
2: the, the the inspiration that comes from the mission. It's like people don't fight for the flag. People fight for what the flag represents. Mm-hmm. And I think with leadership, people are not, in the best case, they're not pulled by the ego or the personhood of the leader, but they're pulled by the dimension of transcendent experience that the leader offers by presenting a project in which people can participate. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, the biggest obstacle for that is the the leader, him or herself, like the ego of the leader putting him or herself in the middle and saying, follow me, as opposed to together and we all follow the mission. And that's Mm -hmm. a very different thing. It's like rowing your boat or surfing on a huge wave. Mm -hmm. And uh, leadership uh, that surfs the wave of the mission it's a totally different leadership than the one that says, you yeah, know, "I'm going to go ahead." Even the best one, I'm not pushing you; I'm pulling you. Mm-hmm. But I'm the one that's rowing ahead and pulling all these people. That's so weak compared to the force of the natural forces of the wind or the or, or the waves that are propelling people towards something bigger. Mm. And I'd say, unfortunately, the biggest derailers of leaders are the, I'd say, the corrupting. Uh, influence of power. Uh, mm. Power is like a drug, and it's it's very difficult to wield power and not be corrupted by it, very much in the style of uh, Tolkien's allegory with the, <laughs> the Lord of the Rings. Yes. You, every time you put on that ring of power, it corrupts your soul to the point that it will end up destroying you. Uh, and The only one that can carry the ring is the one that doesn't want to use it. So being a leader will put you in 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 a hazardous path of being close to this corrupting power. And it takes a lot of personal development and and groundedness and consciousness to be able to hold this power and use it in the service of the mission without getting attached to it and and becoming enslaved by just like Tolkien um, uh, warned us in The Lord of the Rings.
0: Well, Fred, I'm I'm already inspired, but let me <laughs> remind everyone that you are listening to Leadership in Action. I'm your host, Ann Greenhall. I'm here tonight with Mike Yuseem, and together we are speaking with Fred Kaufman about his book, The Meaning Revolution: The Power of Transcendent Leadership. Mike, I'm going to pull you into the yeah,
1: conversation. Uh, Fred, let's think out loud together how you move people to remember the transcendence of what they're doing. Everybody has some element of transcendence to do to doing what they're doing, whether at work or with family or in the community. But in the day-to-day, uh, just uh, kind of the onslaught of obligations and activities, we sometimes lose sight of that. And I think you've got the metaphor in your book, or one close to it, uh, of the one I'm about to cite, this is often used, A stonecutter is asked what he or she is doing, and they say they're cutting a stone. But the second cone stutter says, well, actually, I'm building a cathedral, Uh, a (laughs) well-known metaphor. Mm -hmm. And so, Fred, just taking it now into the active sense of leadership, if you were working with those stonecutters, how do you help them put at the forefront of their thinking uh, the fact that they're building a cathedral? Mm.
2: Uh, well, this is going to be probably underwhelming, but the first step would be to talk about that. So mm-hmm. to explain that uh, our job is to win the game or to build a cathedral, or actually not even to build a cathedral, I would take it further to say, this is a way to connect people with the awesome glory of God. Mm-hmm. And the cathedral is a means to even a larger end. Uh, and let's, let's start our conversation with that. I'm not paying you to cut stones. I'm going to um, invite you to participate in a project of revealing the glory of God through uh, a material structure. And if they understand that, I mean, I'd like Mm. to uh, just share a a beautiful story related to this one. This actually happened to Sir Christopher Wren, who was the architect Mm. of the London Cathedral. He Mm. was, um, in an anonymous way, walking around and asking the, 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 the masons that were working in the cathedral and that's where this story comes from but there's another similar story much closer to home when president kennedy was touring uh nasa um during the the, the time of the space program and he crossed paths with a custodian who was mopping the floor and he, uh, he was uh-huh. also uh, greeting people he stopped and shook hands with the man and asked him so what's your job here and The automatic answer was, "I'm helping to put a man on the moon, Mr. President."
1: Yeah, perfect, <laughs> that's so perfect example. And, I mean, fact-
2: that, that is that is such a beautiful example of understanding of the mission and the larger transcendent the dimension of the mission. It's true, he's mopping the floors, and it's true you have to cut the stones to build sure. the cathedral. So that, that's not there's nothing wrong with that, but that's the beginning, not the end of the task.
1: And Fred, Ann and I, and our third host, Jeff Klein, Mm -hmm. who's not here tonight, we often talk about how important it is for people in positions of responsibility to elevate Mm -hmm. thinking, to elevate their own thinking, to put language at that that higher level, in as much as, and the title of your book is The Meaning Revolution, is that isn't it the job of of a person with responsibility to create that meaning, which means you've got to think it through yourself, and you unequivocally have to articulate it. What do you think?
2: Uh, I think uh, I love what you're saying. I, I can't say it any better. It's exactly, it's exactly the, the truth. I, I, I call that earning moral authority. Because if you, like, let's say somebody's listening to this program and a clever person says, oh, well, I know how to motivate my employees. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start talking about meaning and transcendence and all that. It, it will fail completely because people will smell that you haven't done the work and that you don't have the moral authority to say those things because you have to say them with your being. You can't say them just with your words. That's a manipulative strategy that always fails, and it enrages people. Uh, the Beatles said it a long time ago. You can't buy love. You can buy diamond rings. <laughs> you cannot buy love. we you today have all these engagement programs that give benefits to people and they don't engage anybody. In fact, they disengage people or uh, you know, oh, we need more meaning. Well, let's craft a better mission statement. We are going to help our customers you know see the glory of God, and mm-hmm. you know that's uh, uh, the, the statement in our in our posters and all the walls. It's just not credible. So
1: yeah, and the Fred, leader,
2: you... if he's on her own instrument, it has to start with do inner work.
1: So mm. I th- you make the great point yeah. that the ability to do what we've just described is learned. It, mm. it doesn't necessarily come naturally, or it can sound inauthentic if it isn't learned. What are yeah. a couple steps for people to master the art mm. Of transcendent thinking uh, and instilling meaning. What would be a couple steps for somebody who really wants to advance their ability to do this in the way you describe in your book?
2: This um, if, 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 if these questions are so good. I, I'm a <laughs> little uh, breathless. I mean, I can't. I can't answer. You know, in the fast way. I have to think. They're they're really thoughtful and thought inspiring.
0: Well, Fred, maybe um, may, may I jump in? Please, How about please, this? Please, and I'll, I'll put myself out here as uh, an example because, Mike, your, your, your question is, and Fred's responses are causing me to think about this past semester. And, Mike, you may know that uh, this past semester I taught the last three sections of a course I helped design in 1993 and have taught, as we've discussed, consecutively since 1993 until this semester when I closed down the course for the last time. We are reinventing the requirements.
1: And I can do the math a quarter century. A quarter
0: century. And I entered into the classroom and thought the worst would be to take the approach of let's just get this thing over with, <laughs> you know, put this baby in the ground and move on. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I thought instead uh, that it's a rare opportunity to realize that I'm doing something for the last time and that I should embrace the moment and cherish it. And I think that that sense of, um, the just the sense that we are all walking together in this journey at this moment by some serendipitous coincidence (laughs) and that we were sharing that experience together helped elevate the class and now the jury is still out the students always have the last say but my perception was that it was the most um meaningful experience in the class that i have had so i'll just toss that out there as (laughs) as illustration and (laughs) thank
2: you Thank you, and that's, that's, that's profound. And I I have one, one chapter in the book that's called Die Before You Die, Yes. so you can truly live. Uh, it's it's a, with a play of words on the Zen saying that die before you die, so you can truly live. But mm-hmm. I also think you have to die before you die, so you can get this sense of significance. And what I mean, or what the, the Zen masters mean by die before you die is, Consider the fact of the limited nature of your existence mm-hmm. before you actually die so you can choose consciously how to use your very precious time on this earth to do something that really matters. And, you know, you, you have this, this temptation to surrender to um, kind of oblivion and say, well, let's just get this, this through uh, and, and just put it on the ground and move on. And not be very conscious and not suffer and just do it quickly, you know, painlessly. Mm-hmm. But you chose to actually engage with the scary, um, sad moment of it's over. And it's, it's something I did for a quarter century with great love, was created and, and maybe performed all these times. And, and then paying attention to that and considering that with open eyes and open heart gives you a completely different depth. <laughs> then, okay, we're just you know we're just getting through the course, and uh, you know, I'm going to teach the material. Yeah, it's a lot of time, but uh, no, doesn't matter. There will be another course, and I'm going to because uh, at some point, everything is a preparation for death. Everything is an invitation to consider the fact that our time is preciously scarce, and we have to choose wisely how to invest it. Oh. And I think that's what gives mm. people the moral authority to invite others to invest their precious life energy in a particular project because it's meaningful, because it matters, and because it's going to leave uh, a trace of something I call in the book, well, following uh, Becker, symbolic immortality. You can't achieve material immortality, but if I say Goethe, uh, an, an image comes to mind. And, you have, of course, to be cried, the guy's dead, but... His energy signature is not dead. His energy signature is still moving, like a like a piece of music that is still playing.
0: Oh well, Fred, thank you so much for for that, uh, for those kind words, and I'll as before we take the break, I'll just say that the students in the room were wide-eyed because they realized that they were not even born <laughs> when mm-hmm. I first began teaching the course. So. Stay with us, everyone. This is Leadership in Action. I'm Ann Greenhall, and I'm here tonight with Mike Youseem, and we are enjoying a conversation with Fred Kaufman about his new book called The Meaning Revolution, The Power of Transcendent Leadership. We will be right back. Welcome back to Leadership in Action on SiriusXM XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Ann Greenhall, and in studio tonight with Mike Youseem. And together we are speaking with Fred Kaufman, leadership advisor at LinkedIn and author of the book, The Meaning Revolution, The Power of Transcendent Leadership. Fred, thank you so much for joining us again after the break. And Mike has a follow-up question about one of the chapters in your book.
1: Fred, I was really intrigued by the title of a late chapter in your book, Be a Hero. (laughs) Uh, It's very appealing. I think we all would like to be a hero, but pick up on that. What's your argument and the implication for your... Your bigger idea here that uh, defines the book, which is how do we create meaning in what we're doing every day?
2: Yeah. um, Be a hero is building on the idea of Joseph Campbell and Mm -hmm. the hero's journey. This this, uh, archetype of human development through trials Mm -hmm. and uh, the discovery of inner strength and wisdom that allows you to overcome them and then bringing the gift of your new awareness to your community. So um, for those who may not know, Campbell was a mythologist. He looked at different cultures, and he found what he called a Mm monomyth, that uh, even though there were uh, a thousand different faces for the hero, the idea of the hero's journey was present. It was always the same plot, so to speak, Mm -hmm. uh, which ended up being the plot of Star Wars which uh, Joseph Campbell Mm -hmm. uh, was an advisor to George Lucas uh, about. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I say be a hero, it's not like in the typical business parlance when people say, well, don't try to be a hero, work with the team and so on. I'm I'm not referring to that heroism, but the moral heroism of finding your truth and manifesting your truth in the world, living your values and exemplifying them. And I think... That a leader will not have credibility or trustworthiness or moral authority unless he or she can overcome the temptations. Just like, mm-hmm. and you were saying before the break, mm-hmm. you have the temptation of eschewing the the sorrow or the consideration right. that you know it's been twenty five years mm-hmm. and now uh, this is a this is a, a, a kind of. Um, a, a closing process mm-hmm. that it's uh, wrenching your heart perhaps and, mm-hmm. and it has emotional implications and it's so much easier to portray to unconsciousness and say oh we, we don't need to worry about goodbyes Let, let's just move on and start with things. but you you can't really open something if you haven't properly closed the previous one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. When I so say true. be a hero <laughs>
2: when, I, when, I, when, I, when I suggest that to be a leader, you have to be a hero. I mean, you have to develop the moral courage mm. to stand uh, for your values in a world that um, it's going to try to sway you, that is going to try to tempt you to depart from that
1: path. Fred, uh, really, really interesting. I'm going to quote a line from the early pages of this chapter on being be a hero. You write, We Need a Heroic Quest to Make Our Lives Meaningful. And I and I think, Anne, <laughs> we, we both totally resonate <laughs> with that. Let me ask about the challenge that faces, I'll make it personal myself, um, when we're looking at just sort of the, the day-to-day challenges of getting <laughs> through the week. And we've got just all these very tangible, short-term needs to be, put food on the table and Mm -hmm. get grades in, in Ann's case and my case (laughs) here. (laughs) And so, how do we work to transcend the the, the daily demands to find that kind of sense of transcendent purpose?
2: Yeah. Um, Well, first, uh, I like to share a personal mantra I use just to remind myself and the people I work with of um, the need to be attentive. And it's that uh, what tastes good is not always good, mm. and what is good doesn't always taste good. <laughs> so uh, there's always a drive for expediency and uh, convenience, or uh, uh, taking uh, prudent uh, attitudes that makes makes sense. But um, maybe in the long term, they're taking you to a place you don't want to be. So many times the leaders that I work with say, oh, well, I have a moral dilemma. You know, if I if I tell the customer we don't have the product in stock, then they won't buy. It. But if I tell them it's in stock, even though it's a slight lie, we're going to get it next week, then it doesn't really matter because we'll tell them, oh, we'll, we'll deliver it to you next week and so on. <laughs> and my answer is that's not a moral dilemma. That's a dilemma between what's moral and what's expedient. Mm-hmm. But, but you, know, you don't have two horns of a moral dilemma. You You're saying... I'd like to do what's right, but what's right is not convenient. So I'm conflicted because I also want to do what's convenient, even if it's clear that it's a lie and it's not right. So I think there are very few moral dilemmas, but most of us are really trapped exactly in what you said, the need to pay attention to immediate concerns and the pull from, I would say, pleasure or the satisfaction of um, our immediate desires and uh, in buddhism there's this phrase that's also very profound it says there's pleasure and there's bliss and those who want the latter must be willing to sacrifice the former." so if you you know it's the same as sugar i mean i i say it in an easier way but it's like you know you don't have to teach a kid to eat chocolate uh, but you do have to learn it's an acquired taste to eat salad Uh, but you know normally uh, if you give a child the option you want chocolate or you want uh, veggies, they always, I mean, I would always go for chocolate. I, even today, I would go for chocolate, except that I don't want the consequences. Mm-hmm. So it, in a sense, staying conscious of the longer or the bigger implications of what appear to be immediate actions. Like mm-hmm. you're cutting a stone, and you may think, well, I'm just cutting this stone. But if you think you're building a cathedral, and every gesture is really a sacrifice, in the best sense of the world, to the glory of God, you have a very different attitude. And if you think you're just marking you know, exams and, and getting grades through, you're going to do, do that in a certain state of mind. But if you think that you're helping to shape the life of the students that trust you mm-hmm. or the university mm-hmm. has entrusted to you uh, for their development, mm-hmm. yeah, you still have to mark the exams and still we're grading, and it's a, it, it could be considered a task. You're seeing the transcendent dimension of the the, the the transcendent dimension of the task in a way that makes it meaningful. It doesn't change the task; it changes the way you engage with it. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know, Mike, if I answer your question, yeah. but it's a, you did. a really interesting consideration. I'd like to ask you back, if oh. I may, how is it that you maintain, and as you teach leadership, how is it that both of you are able to present? You know in an mm-hmm. academic environment in a way that could be well, this is just a class mm. but bring some of the passion and and the the love that you feel towards the area because you wouldn't be teaching in this field unless you saw something mm. meaningful in it. so I'd like to ask you back mm. uh, for your personal experiences with that
0: well fred i'll I'll leap in enough about me more about me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about that i yes. uh, I'll leap in uh i I, I'm thoughtful about your question because I, Mike knows well that I ask groups of students to engage with a client and deliver a, um, a, a service to that client. And I've learned over the years, and it was especially clear this uh, semester, that students who see that client engagement as an assignment, that they need mm-hmm. to complete as opposed to an engagement with a person who cares deeply about their organization and their mission, whether it's a nonprofit in the local Philadelphia area or a small business sourced by our Small Business Development Center, if they see that what they are doing really matters to the client, then it's no longer an assignment but something that yeah. is real and meaningful mm-hmm. to to the person they're working with, and that can become... The word transformative would maybe be too grand, but it becomes a different experience, a real experience, and one that has some depth rather than than surface. So one of the things that I try to do, and I don't know, I'm not always successful, but I try to have students see that what they're doing is live. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: So Thank that's you. just one, you know, one reflection. Yeah. But now you've been so helpful. Mike got us started. Mike asked you earlier on to give us and our listeners some suggestions about how we can become uh, can become more transformative in our leadership. And you meant, we've talked about two. And one is Die Before You Die. And the Mm -hmm. second was Be a Hero. Mike asked you to talk about that chapter. I just like, because I I like the title of this chapter, too, the one that says Get Over Yourself. (laughs) So would you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. I mean, you asked me before, Anne, um, what was the biggest block to leadership? And I said it's the ego. Ah. Um, The fact that people get addicted to power and then they crave for more and more. So get over yourself. It's saying, don't don't think you're so important, uh, and mm-hmm. don't try to prevail over others. And say, oh, leadership is about formal authority or the power to make other people do things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and one of my mentors was uh, Professor Russ Aikoff from Wharton, oh. Oh. Uh, and uh, and and he he was fond of telling his stories with the the Shah of Iran, and and he used to say, well, the Shah of Iran could. Uh, you know, could kill anybody. He was above the law. He could just send everybody to death. He had infinite power, like the ultimate power any any person can have. And yet he couldn't make the train run on time. He couldn't make the projects finish on time, on budget and on quality. He couldn't get any of it, um, any of these massive undertakings to work well. So it's not a function of egoic power to achieve extraordinary results, but it's your ability to connect people to the larger purpose to get out of the way. So, get mm-hmm. you know, over yourself would be a way to say get get out of the way, so that you can become the way through which people discover this mm-hmm. uh, this dimension that Mike was was describing and that you just illustrated. You know, it's, is it an assignment or is it uh, a meaningful engagement right. with the client? But mm-hmm. well, it's both. Uh, but it depends on what you want it to be and what your uh, your personal level of consciousness enables you to connect to. And what a leader does, is, if, if, if the leader is able to get over him or herself, the leader creates an upward pull in the level of consciousness. It, it creates a, a distortion field, like some people said, uh, Steve Jobs did, a reality distortion field where people stop seeing stones uh, to be cut or assignments to be completed or exams to be graded, or podcasts to be recorded, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, and 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 they start seeing. Oh no, no, everything is a meaningful engagement, which might be the last thing I do in my life. Uh, and, and and just thinking, it might be not, not that it's going to be, but mm-hmm. it might be. And nobody knows for sure right. when they are going to have the last hour to live. Um, some people do, but most people don't.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So bet on a sure thing. Someday. It will be your last hour. Mm-hmm. So, if you live every hour, not making choices about what you do, but it's pretty safe to say if you live every hour on how you would like to show up,
1: doing whatever
2: you're doing, uh, that's a profound mm-hmm. invitation to see the meaningfulness of any activity, any engagement, any conversation, any activity that you are performing. Now, suddenly becomes your parting
0: gift. Mm, So good. Well, let me remind listeners you're listening to Leadership in Action. I'm Ann Greenhall. I'm here with Mike Yuseem, and we're having a wonderful time speaking with Fred Kaufman about his book, The Meaning Revolution. Mike, would you like to pick up on that line of thinking?
1: Fred. Uh, we know that you have worked at, you work at LinkedIn. You've worked with people at Google. You've worked with those and a number of other companies, Facebook included. And drawing on your own experience, when it's one-on-one, you're you're speaking with a, let's make it an engineer, at uh, say Facebook. How do you go about making uh, um, making your arguments, helping mm-hmm. them? see that this issue of purpose and becoming a hero and die before you die, uh, all these issues should be in front of them. So it's really a a question that Anne and I struggle with a lot in our own setting. How do you teach the concepts Mm -hmm. of leadership, of responsibility? You've done a lot of that in these company settings and I know well beyond. So what seems to work for you to get these messages effectively across and appreciated?
2: Oh, I have to confess something, Mike. That I think I have a, an advantage of you. I don't envy you because you <laughs> have to teach it. I, I I don't I don't feel any responsibility to teach this, and I don't teach it. Hmm. Um, being being engaged with people in problem-solving exercises
1: yeah. gives
2: me uh, a, a big uh, leverage that you don't have in a classroom necessarily. It's much harder to do this when you're trying to teach people to connect with these concepts. So I, I go in and I tell people, look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a personal trainer. I'm not coming here to teach you anything. Um, and uh, in a sense, you came to my gym. So I'm going <laughs> to ask you, why the hell are you here?
1: <laughs> uh,
2: and I'm I says, sure. well, I was just walking by. I said, well, this is not a place to just walk in. So unless you want to come to a gym, um, I don't want to waste my time with you. And I'll leave. It's, I call it the taxi driver principle. You know, <laughs> somebody gets in my taxi. I say, you know, where do you want to go? And if they say, oh, I'm just fine here, it's like, then get, get out of my taxi. Because uh, just the very fact that you got in the taxi means there's something you want you want, or a place you want to get to that you're not. Uh, and then when people tell me what is it that they aspire to achieve, but they don't have the competence to achieve yet, and it's not just them, but them as leaders of teams and so on, then I start pulling the thread from there. Hmm. So it, it's... Uh, it's a it's a it's a much easier task that perhaps, as you were saying, connecting people to the ideas, mm-hmm. because I will I will start from the very stretch or the very gap that people feel in terms of their ability to fulfill their ambition, and then I'll I'll, I'll work upstream using this uh, Japanese idea in total quality management that a defect is a treasure, and the reason why the Japanese say that is because if you go understanding the, the, the origin of the defect, you can fundamentally improve the system. So I say that the defects that people have in their lives is because either they don't have some necessary skills or because the way they're thinking is making it impossible for them to exercise the skills in a way that yields the result they want. So by, by going upstream into the mental models that are leading people to act ineffectively, I connect them to this notion of responsibility, transcendence, inspiration, and all these other things.
1: Fred, I've got a personal question building on (laughs) exactly what you've said, and I think actually Anne and Jeff Klein, our third host here, Mm -hmm. and I are probably more in your category than uh, maybe we would appreciate on first glance in the sense that we... We rarely talk about teaching leadership. We true, often yeah. talk about creating a conditions a condition where people can learn leadership. That's true, Mike. Uh, yeah. And so that's uh, kind of the same business, I think. Uh, a question yeah. for you is very personally now how you evolved from mm-hmm. a new Ph.D. student coming out of Berkeley with a degree in economic theory into the area you are now. Help us appreciate that transition Very personally. Um,
2: Well, I I have to credit a great leader that I had in my life, a mentor, Peter Senge. Um, I went went to MIT as a young professor. uh, I got an invitation to teach at the Sloan School, uh, management, accounting, and control systems. Also, not uh, something very related to what I do now. But uh, the week I arrived at MIT, Peter published his book, The Fifth Discipline, and it became a huge success, and the notions of learning organization became um, hard currency in the business world. That's how I met Russ Acuff and Edward Deming and uh, Ed Ed Shine and and just an amazing group of very wise um, senior professors that... I learned a tremendous amount, and um, I, I'm, I'm very grateful to um, Peter. He, in a sense, he led me into a field that I, I didn't know very well and essentially ruined my original career because this was so, <laughs> uh, so meaningful to me. that <laughs> I remember one of the academic memes at MIT told me, oh, no, 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 don't do that. You know, that's going to take you down the wrong path. Because I was a mathematician. I studied advanced economic theory. And I was writing papers for Econometrica and uh, the Economics Journal. And yet, the moment I engaged with human beings, not with equations, and I started thinking, what is it that really drives performance in a holistic manner rather than purely formal manner? It it took me down the rabbit hole, and I still haven't found the end of it. It's getting
0: deeper. (laughs) It keeps getting
2: deeper every day. Very good.
0: Wow, that's oh, that's a wonderful story. So what I what I hear in there is a little bit of the hero's journey.
2: Yeah, hmm. I guess. Thank you, and that's, uh, that's a keen observation. I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, I would say it's a hero's journey. I still feel like I'm in the underworld. I don't. I, I mean, it's it's like many hero's journeys. I'm sharing the experience mm-hmm. and uh, and inviting other people to also undertake theirs. Uh, creating the conditions, as Mike you said, um, I think very properly, creating the conditions where people are emboldened to go into their own inner journeys and, and develop their uh, their sense of meaning, it, um, has been so so profound and so mm-hmm. touching that I can't imagine doing anything else.
0: <laughs> Fred, well, we have just about mm. a minute left, and I, I always like to give our Guessed the last word. So, what would you advise people who are listening to the show who are clearly interested in cultivating their own leadership? What would where would you start?
2: Um, I would start with this consideration of creating an environment where other people can flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, the the ability to connect people a mission that will make them go beyond themselves is the biggest gift that a leader can offer people and in exchange of that people will give their enthusiasm, will give their best so becoming this kind of uh, bridge between the material world and the world of meaning is uh, the ultimate task of the leader so it takes training Mm -hmm. I, I mean I I wrote the book, but I also published about 100 three-minute videos oh. uh, that are on LinkedIn, and they're free, and anybody can use them. This is uh, the program of leadership development that we prepared at LinkedIn, and I negotiated with them that you know, I'll give you all the material I developed over 20 years, but we make it uh, available to everybody. And uh, I think Jeff Wiener was very, very gracious to say, yeah, we'll produce it, we'll and then we'll put it online. It's it's absolutely free. So if anybody wants to see that and and use it as a uh, as a reflection, I'd be I'd be super happy. And uh, of course, I respond to all the all the messages people send me on LinkedIn and and uh, trying to help people go into their journey.
0: Well, very good, Fred. We want to thank you so much for joining us tonight on the show. Indeed, Fred. Yeah. Thank you very much.
2: It, it, it was wonderful. Thank you.